chapters 26 and 27 of a comic history of the united states this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this reading by allison hester of athens georgia a comic history of the united states by bill nye chapter 26 some more fratricidal strife the effort to open the mississippi from the north was seconded by an expedition from the south in which captain david g farragut commanding a fleet of forty vessels cooperated with general benjamin f butler with the capture of new orleans as the object mortar boats covered with green branches for the purpose of fooling the enemy as no one could tell at any distance at all whether these were or were not olive branches steamed up the river and bombarded forts jackson and st philip till the stunned catfish rose to the surface of the water to inquire why all this and turned their pallid stomachs toward the soft southern zenith sixteen thousand eight hundred shells were thrown into the two forts but that did not capture new orleans farragut now decided to run his fleet past the defences and desperate as the chances were he started on april twenty fourth a big cable stretched across the river suggested the idea that there was a hostile feeding among the new orleans people five rafts and armed steamers met him and the iron-plated ram manassas extended to him a cordial welcome to a wide wet grave with a southern exposure farragut cut through the cable about three o'clock in the morning practically destroyed the confederate fleet and steamed up to the city which was at his mercy the forts now threatened in the rear by butler's army surrendered and farragut went up to baton rouge and took possession of it general butler's occupation at new orleans has been variously commented upon by both friend and foe but we are only able to learn from this and the entire record of the war in fact that it is better to avoid hostilities unless one is ready to accept the unpleasant features of combat the author when a boy learned this after he had acquired the unpleasant features resulting from combat which the artist has cleverly shown on opposite page general butler said he found it almost impossible to avoid giving offence to the foe and finally he gave it up in despair the french are said to be the politest people on the face of the earth but no german will admit it and though the germans are known to have big warm hospitable hearts since the franco-prussian war you couldn't get a frenchman to admit this in february burnside captured roanoke island and the coast of north carolina fell into the hands of the union army port royal became the base of operations against florida and at the close of the year eighteen sixty two every city on the atlantic coast except charleston wilmington and savannah was held by the union army the merrimac ironclad which had made much trouble for the union shipping for some time steamed into hampton roads on the eighth of march hampton roads is not the champs elysees of the south but a long wet stretch of track east of virginia 
the midway plaisance of the salted sea the merrimac steered for the cumberland rammed her and the cumberland sunk like a stove lid with all on board the captain of the congress warned by the fate of the cumberland ran his vessel on shore and tried to conceal her behind tall grass but the merrimac followed and shelled her till she surrendered the merrimac then went back to norfolk where she boarded night having come on apace in the morning she aimed to clear out the balance of the union fleet that night however the monitor a flat little craft with a revolving tower invented by captain ericsson arrived and in the morning when the merrimac started in on her day's work of devastation beginning with the minnesota the insignificant-looking monitor slid up to the iron monster and gave her two one hundred and sixty-six and three-quarter pound solid shot the merrimac replied with a style of broadside that generally sunk her adversary but the balls rolled off the low flat deck and fell with a solemn plunk in the morning sea or broke in fragments and lay on the forward deck like the shells of antique eggs on the floor of the house of parliament after a home rule argument five times the merrimac tried to ram the little spitz pup of the navy but her huge iron beak rode up over the slippery deck of the enemy and when the big vessel looked over her sides to see its wreck she discovered that the monitor was right side up and ready for more the confederate vessel gave it up at last and went back to norfolk defeated her career suddenly closed by the timely genius of the able scandinavian the peninsular campaign was principally addressed toward the capture of richmond one hundred thousand men were massed at fort monroe april fourth and marched slowly toward yorktown where five thousand confederates under general mcgrutter stopped the great army under mcclellan after a month's siege and just as mcclellan was about to shoot at the town the garrison took its valise and went away on the fifth of may occurred the battle of williamsburg between the forces under fighting joe hooker and general johnston it lasted nine hours and ended in the routing of the confederates and their pursuit by hooker to within seven miles of richmond this caused the adjournment of the confederate congress but johnston prevented the junction of mcdowell and mcclellan after the capture of hanover courthouse and stonewall jackson reinforced by ewell scared the union forces almost to death they crossed the potomac having marched thirty-five miles per day washington was getting too hot now to hold people who could get away it was hard to say which capital had been scared the worst the governors of the northern states were asked to send militia to defend the capital and the front door of the white house was locked every night after ten o'clock but finally the union generals instead of calling for more troops got after general jackson and he fled from the shenandoah valley burning the bridges behind him it is said that as he and his staff were about to cross their last bridge they saw a mounted gun on the opposite side manned by a union artilleryman jackson rode up and in clarion tones called out 
who told you to put that gun there sir bring it over here sir and mount it and report at headquarters this evening sir the artilleryman unlimbered the gun and while he was placing it general jackson and staff crossed over and joined the army one cannot be too careful during a war in the matter of obedience to orders we should always know as nearly as possible whether our orders come from the proper authority or not no one can help admiring this dashing officer's tour in the shenandoah valley where he kept three major generals and sixty thousand troops awake nights with fifteen thousand men saved richmond scared washington into fits and prevented the union of mcclellan's and mcdowell's forces had there been more such men and a little more confidence in the great volume of typographical errors called confederate money the lovely character who pens these lines might have had a different tale to tell may thirty first and june first occurred the battle of fair oaks where mcclellan's men floundering in the mud of the chickahominy swamps were pounced upon by general johnston who was wounded the first day on the following day as a result of this accident johnston's men were repulsed in disorder general robert e lee who was now in command of the confederate forces desired to make his army even more offensive than it had been and on june twelfth general stuart led off with his cavalry made the entire circuit of the union army saw how it looked from behind and returned to richmond much improved in health having had several meals of victuals while absent hooker now marched to where he could see the dome of the courthouse at richmond but just then mcclellan heard that jackson had been seen in the neighborhood of hanover courthouse and so decided to change his base general mcclellan was a man of great refinement and would never use the same base over a week at a time he had hardly got the base changed when lee fell upon his flank at mechanicsville june twenty sixth and the seven days battle followed the union troops fought and fell back fought and fell back until malvern hill was reached where worn with marching choked with dust and broken down by the heat to which they were unaccustomed they made their last stand july first here lee got such a reception that he did not insist on going any farther but the union army was cooped up on the james river the siege of richmond had been abandoned and the north felt blue and discouraged three hundred thousand more men were called for and it seemed that as in the south the cradle and the grave were to be robbed for more troops lee now decided to take washington and butcher congress to make a roman holiday general pope met the confederates august twenty sixth and while lee and jackson were separated could have whipped the latter had the army of the potomac reinforced him as it should but full of malaria and footsore with marching it did not reach him in time and pope had to fight the entire confederate army on that historic ground covered with so many unpleasant memories and other things called bull run for the second time the worn and wilted union army was glad to get back to washington where the president was and where beer was only five cents per glass 
Oh, how sad everything seemed at that time to the north, and how high cotton cloth was. The bride who hastily married her dear one and bade him goodbye as the bugle called him to war pointed with pride to her cotton clothes as a mark of wealth, and the middle classes were only too glad to have a little cotton mixed with their woolen clothes. Lee invaded Maryland, and McClellan, restored to the command of the Army of the Potomac, followed him, and found a copy of his order of march, which revealed the fact that only a portion of the army was before him. So overtaking the Confederates at South Mountain, he was ready for a victory, but waited one day, and in the mountains Lee got his troops united again, while Jackson also returned. The Union troops had over 80,000 in their ranks, and nothing could have been more thoughtful or genteel than to wait for the Confederates to get as many together as possible. Otherwise, the battle might have been brief and unsatisfactory to the taxpayer or newspaper subscriber, who, of course, wants his money's worth when he pays for a battle. The Battle of Antietam was a very fierce one and undecisive, yet it saved Washington from an invasion by the Confederates, who would have done a good deal of trading there, no doubt, entirely on credit, thus injuring business very much and loading down Washington merchants with book accounts, which, added to what they had charged already to members of Congress, would have made times in Washington extremely dull. General McClellan, having impressed the country with the idea that he was a good bridge builder, but a little too dilatory in the matter of carnage, was succeeded by General Burnside. President Lincoln had written the proclamation of emancipation to the slaves in July, but waited for a victory before publishing it. Bull Run as a victory was not up to his standard, so when Lee was driven from Maryland, the document was issued by which all slaves in the United States became free, and although 31 years have passed at this writing, they are still dropping in occasionally from the back districts to inquire about the truth of the report. End of chapter 26 Chapter 27 Still more fraternal bloodshed on principle. Outing features disappear and give place to strained relations between combatants who begin to mix things. On December 13th, the year's business closed with the Battle of Fredericksburg under the management of General Burnside. 12,000 Union troops were killed before night mercifully shut down the slaughter. The Confederates were protected by stone walls and situated upon a commanding height from which they were able to shoot down the Yankees with perfect sang-froid and deliberation. In the midst of all these discouragements, the Red Brother fetched loose in Minnesota, Iowa, and Dakota and massacred 700 men, women, and children. The outbreak was under the management of Little Crow and was confined to the Sioux Nation. Thirty-nine of these Indians were hanged on the same scaffold at Mankato, Minnesota, as a result of this wholesale murder. This execution constitutes one of the green spots in the author's memory. In all lives, now and then, an oasis is liable to fall. This was oasis enough to last the writer for years. In 1863, the Federal Army numbered about 700,000 men, and the Confederates about 350,000. 
Still, it took two more years to close the war. It is now held by good judges that the war was prolonged by the jealousy existing between Union commanders who wanted to be president or something else, and that it took so much time for the generals to keep their eyes on caucuses and county papers at home that they fought best when surprised and attacked by the foe. General Grant moved again on Vicksburg, and on May 1st defeated Pemberton at Fort Gibson. He also prevented a junction between Joseph E. Johnston and Pemberton, and drove the latter into Vicksburg, securing the stopper so tightly that after 47 days the garrison surrendered July 4th. This fight cost the Confederates 37,000 prisoners, 10,000 killed and wounded, and immense quantities of stores. It was a warm time in Vicksburg. A curious man who stuck his hat out for 20 seconds above the ramparts found 15 bullet holes in it when he took it down, and when he wore it to church, he attracted more attention than the collection. The North now began to sit up and take notice. Morning papers began to sell once more, and Grant was the name on every tongue. The Mississippi was open to the Gulf, and the Confederacy was practically surrounded. Rosecrans would have moved on the enemy, but learned that the foe had several head of cavalry more than he did, also a team of artillery. At this time, John Morgan made a raid into Ohio. He surrounded Cincinnati, but did not take it, as he was not keeping house at the time and hated to pay storage on it. He got to Parkersburg, West Virginia, and was captured there with almost his entire force. On September 19th and 20th occurred the Battle of Chickamauga. Longstreet rushed into a branch in the Union line and swept it with a big great besom of wrath with which he had wisely provided himself on starting out. Rosecrans felt mortified when he came to himself and found that his horse had been so unmanageable that he had carried him ten miles from the carnage. But the left, under Thomas, held fast its position, and no doubt saved the little band of 60,000 men which Rosecrans commanded at the time. His army now found itself shut up in entrenchments, with Bragg on the hills threatening the Union forces with starvation. On November 24th and 25th, a battle near Chattanooga took place, with Grant at the head of the Federal forces. Hooker came to join him from the Army of the Potomac, and Sherman hurried to his standard from Lucca. Thomas made a dash and captured Orchard Knob and Hooker on the following day charged Lookout Mountain. This was the most brilliant, perhaps, of Grant's victories. It is known as the Battle of Missionary Ridge. Hooker had exceeded his prerogative and kept on after capturing the crest of Lookout Mountain, while Sherman was giving the foe several varieties of fits from the north when Grant discovered that before him the line was being weakened in order to help the Confederate flanks. So with Thomas he crossed through the first line and over the rifle pits, forgot that he had intended to halt and reform, and concluded to wait and reform after the war was over, when he should have more time, and that night along the entire line of heights the campfires of the Union Army winked at one another in ghoulish glee. The army under Bragg was routed, and Bragg resigned his command. Burnside, 
who had been relieved of the command of the Army of the Potomac, was sent to East Tennessee, where the brave but frost-bitten troops of Longstreet shut him up at Knoxville and compelled him to board at the railroad eating house there. Sherman's worn and weary boots were now ordered at once to the relief of Burnside, and Longstreet, getting word of it, made a furious assault on the farmer, who repulsed him with loss and he went away from there as Sherman approached the west. Hooker had succeeded Burnside in the command of the Army of the Potomac, and he judged that, as Lee was now left with but 60,000 men, while the Army of the Potomac contained 100,000 who craved out-of-door exercise, he might do well to go and get Lee, returning in the cool of the evening. Lee, however, accomplished the division of his army while concealed in the woods, and sent Jackson to fall on Hooker's rear. The close of the fight found Hooker on his old camping ground opposite Fredericksburg, murmuring to himself in a dazed sort of way, Where am I? Lee felt so good over this that he decided to go north and get something to eat. He also decided to get catalogs and price lists of Philadelphia and New York while there. Threatening Baltimore in order to mislead General Meade, who was now in command of the Federals, Lee struck into Pennsylvania and met with the Union Cavalry a little west of Gettysburg on the Chambersburg Road. It is said that Gettysburg was not intended by either army as the site for the battle. Lee, hoping to avoid a fight, depending as he did on the well-known hospitality of the Pennsylvanians, and Meade, intending to have the fight at Pipe Creek, where he had some property. July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd were the dates of this memorable battle. The first day was rather favorable to Lee, quite a number of Yankee prisoners being taken away while they were lost in the crowded streets of Gettysburg. The second day was opened by Longstreet, who charged the Union left and ran across Sickles, who had by mistake formed in the way of Meade's intended line of battle. They outflanked him, but, as they swung around him, Warren met them with a diabolical welcome, which stayed them. Sickles found himself on Cemetery Ridge, while the Confederates, under Ewell, were on Culp's Hill. On the third day, at 1 p.m., Lee opened with 150 guns on Cemetery Ridge. The air was a hornet's nest of screaming shells with fiery tails. As it lulled a little, out of the woods came 18,000 men in battle array, extending over a mile in length. The Yankees knew a good thing when they saw it, and they paused to admire this beautiful gathering of foemen, in whose veins there flowed the same blood as in their own, and whose ancestors had stood shoulder to shoulder with their own in a hundred battles for freedom. Their sentiment gave place to shouts of battle, and into the silent phalanx a hundred guns poured their red-hot messages of death. The golden grain was drenched with the blood of men no less brave because they were not victorious, and the rich fields of Pennsylvania drank with thirsty eagerness the warm blood of many a southern son. Yet they moved onward. Volley after volley of musketry mowed them down, and the puny reaper in the neglected grain gave place to the grim reaper death 
all down that unwavering line of gray and brown they marched up to the union breastworks bayoneted the gunners at their work planted their flags on the parapets and while the federals converged from every point to this exploding powder burned the faces of these contending hosts who hand to hand fought each other to death while far away widows and orphans multiplied to mourn through the coming years over this ghastly folly of civil war whole companies of the confederates rushed as prisoners into the arm of their enemies and the shattered remnant of the battered foe retreated from the field while all this was going on in pennsylvania pemberton was arranging terms of surrender at vicksburg and from this date onward the confederacy began to wobble in its orbit and the president of this ill-advised but bitterly punished scheme began to wish that he had been in canada when the war broke out in april of the same year admirable dupont an able seaman with massive whiskers decided to run the fortifications at charleston with ironclads but the charleston people thought they could run themselves so they drove him back after the sinking of the kennebec and the serious injury of all the other vessels general gilmore then landed with troops fort wagner was captured the fifty-fourth regiment of colored troops the finest organized in the free states took a prominent part and fought with great coolness and bravery by december there were fifty thousand colored troops enlisted and before the war closed over two hundred thousand it is needless to say that this made the yankee unpopular at the time in the best society of the south general gilmore attempted to capture sumter and did reduce it to a pulp but when he went to gather it he was met by a garrison still concealed in the basement and peppered with volleys of hot shingle nails and other bric-a-brac which forced him to retire with loss he said afterward that fort sumter was not desirable anyhow this closed the most memorable year of the war with the price of living at the south running up to eight hundred and nine hundred dollars per day and currency depreciating so rapidly that one's salary had to be advanced every morning in order to keep pace with the price of mule stakes. End of chapter 27